guys. Hi, yes. Hey, you guys. How's it going? Um, so there's a, a, a little thing I want to put in front of this episode. Yeah, it ran long, and you're welcome, and I'm sorry if I'm a little slurry. It did run long, and it got a little intense. Um, Kristen and I get into some heavy subjects here on this episode. Say hi, Kristen. Hi. Yeah, I'm not holding every gunpoint. It's okay. I'm over here cutting the cat. Yeah, so... Um, we we talked about self mutilation, um, about rape. Uh, shit gets a little weird around the forty minute mark, and that's why you get an hour and a half episode because we thought we were going to talk about film um, and censorship, and we 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 walked ourselves uh, down a little bit of a road. But as Ram Dass says. We're all just walking each other home. So I, I didn't want you to walk in on this episode feeling like um, you've been blindsided with some pretty heavy shit. I hope you enjoy it. Does Kristen hope you enjoy it? I do. I love you. I love you. And I love you guys. And we will talk to you next week. Tickety test. Tickety test. Your testicles? Tickety test my testicles. You're just staring at me now. (laughs) (laughs) Why is it always me who has to drag this thing up the hill? (laughs) Um, um, I feel like you knew that when you chose to marry me. I think you're you're putting your future in the hands of a manic depressive. (laughs) I mean, you knew these things about me. Before you married me. I know. So. Uh, I feel like it's kind of your fault, to be honest. Happy month anniversary. Happy month anniversary. <laughs> happy month anniversary. Happy month anniversary. This is how sad I make my wife this early. <laughs> I'm not mm. sad. Ah, welcome to the Nightmare Box. Presenting mistakes were made. My name is Brett Bloom. I'm sitting across from the beautiful... Badass bitch, Kristen Bloom. Effervescent. The effervescent, beautiful badass bitch, <laughs> Kristen Bloom. <laughs> mm. And she's not talking to me I'm, right now. You didn't introduce yourself. I did. did you? Oh, did so you? I'm Brett Bloom. Oh. Okay, I'm restarting. <laughs> no, no. <I'm> just <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. We burned the first two minutes. We've lost everybody. They don't care about me. They, they, they. <laughs> It's the exact opposite. They want my head on a stake, and they're coming to the apartment right now to kill us all. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, again, you knew this about me when you married me. Uh, <laughs> we should should have named me Low Energy Kristen Low instead of Effervescent. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Are we doing this? Yeah. Do you want to do this today? Are we, are we, are we going to do a show? Yeah. Uh, so I figured, you know, I don't have a way to get into it. I feel like it's all um, fucked up. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> what it, it's today the 19th. Do what? It's today the 19th. July 19th. Yeah. yeah. So yesterday, um, a couple of days ago, whenever you guys listen to this, was our month anniversary. Hell yeah. We made it a whole month without killing each other. It was close. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I was all up in my feels... Um, in general, because Brett went to the bookstore and got me a book, and then it was month anniversary, and then mm-hmm. I finally got around to downloading, um, 
the studio version of DaVinci Resolve onto my computer and then cried like a little bitch baby about it. So it's been a roller coaster of a weekend. Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. And then she got sad right before we hit no, play. No, I'm not sad. I'm just I'm tired. I'm not, I'm not well, at all you, sad. Can you bring us the militant positivity? Let's get Kristen out of her sad so we can get I'm into the episode. I'm not sad. I'm just tired. Kristen is overworked, underpaid, wanna... underappreciated, and does not have of... the time to do the creative shit. So let's focus on that. <laughs> we switched roles this morning, though. Like, you're usually the one that's like, I'm staying in bed till noon. And I'm like, no, you got to get up. And like this morning, I was like, we could just stay in bed. You're like, no, we got to make breakfast. Yep. I was like, we don't, though. <laughs> we could just stay in bed. We could do this all day. I was enjoying my snuggle fest. I know. So I was squished between you and the dog <laughs> on our king-size bed. We were all huddled to one side of the bed for some reason. And it was cozy as fuck. I spent a lot of time on twin-size beds. I'm not used to that amount of space. <laughs> But it was cozy, and I was, I was for living there for the rest of the day. Exactly, but you can't do that. Sometimes you got to get up so that the world can kick you solely well, in the testicles. I said we could podcast from the bed, so I feel like really... I feel like we should have done that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is falling apart quickly. <laughs> and a panic attack hit play, and then I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Having a panic attack. Yeah, I'm still going through it. So I started to say on camera, but we're not on camera. <laughs> no, we're not on camera. <laughs> Um, but no, I think it's it, 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 it's a horribly fucked up world, and it never seems to stop getting worse, and I sometimes just wake up and wish I was dead. And so that's your <laughs> version of militant positivity, huh? And so I use that hatred against the system, uh, which we'll get to later, uh, to create what I can. I don't know what to tell you there, Kristen Blue. <laughs> so, Brett, why do you write? Because I'm suicidally depressed, and if I stopped it, I don't know what else would end. No. Okay. Well, that's dark. All I said was I was tired. <laughs> I want to hit you with the tails on my coin. Apparently. We had a conversation before we turned the mic on. Literally, all I said was I was exhausted. And then I had a I panic got attack. so much darker. Fucking talking about paperworks. I hate paperwork. You like board work, though? I do like board work. You connected the dots All this right. week. So we watched Halloween the other night. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know how to segue. You're not helping me. Um, Do I ever? No, never. I'm going to give you a production assistant role, but I'm just going to ramble at the wall someday. You should know you can't trust me. should do that. So we watched 2018's Halloween, finally fucking got around to it. I've been wanting to see that movie since before it came out. I, was, I remember, fingers crossed, I'm going to the movie theater. I'm going, and then I didn't. Uh, cause Are I, you glad now, though? I'm very happy now. I'm just <laughs> sad that I wasted two years of my life going, I really need to see that movie. Like, just waking up some days and going, you can't die yet. You haven't seen all of the Halloweens. It was just enough to get me going. Well, and I now guess, I realize that... I yeah. guess we better sign that will, because goodbye, Brett. Goodbye, Brett. <laughs> uh, the, 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 I hated it. I hated it with a fiery passion. It pissed it. me off. But can you... Uh, all right, I've, we're not doing a full two-star on this, but I do have some interesting facts, and then we can kind of get into discussing it. Mm -hmm. uh, it was directed by David Gordon Green, uh, who directed Pineapple Express. Weird choice. Weird choice. It was written by Jeff Fradley, Danny McBride, and David Gordon Green. You might ask yourself, that Danny McBride guy, he sounds kind of familiar. You know where you know him from? No, but I do know the name. Pineapple Express. He was the guy with the neck thing with the shotgun. 
It's been a while since I've seen it. You had the neck brace and the shotgun. Um, It's been a while since I've seen it. I thought it was kind of a dumb movie. It it was a ridiculously dumb movie. Um, uh, But this film was made in response to um, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, because Carpenter wanted to aim for a more terrifying uh, sequel than any of the preceding sequels. So Halloween 2018 is meant to be a direct sequel to the original Halloween, which ignores Carpenter's own Halloween 2, which is arguably the greatest sequel of all time. I, I'm still stuck on that. Making I... Michael 60-something years old. But... I need to rewind back to the Pineapple Express thing. <laughs> we, Guy, neck brace, shotgun. No, That's all I've got for you. No, I can't remember what he does. No, he says watched, a funny quip in a barn at some point. No, we watched the behind the scenes or some of the behind the scenes footage on the Halloween DVD because Brett bought the actual DVD. And they have like a sit down moment where um, Jamie Lee Curtis and then... Mm-hmm. Two other people, I can't remember who the two other people are, like, sitting talking about the script and, like, oh, it's... John Carpenter and... Blum. And Blum? Yeah, the, yeah, because I remember that, because they were talking about the guy that owns Blumhouse Productions was, mm-hmm. like, had been trying to get this director to work with them for, like, a while, apparently, and he yeah. finally agreed to sign on, and they were like, yeah, he had never done horror before, but, you know, sometimes those are the best people to do horror. Yeah, like a Jordan Peele situation. Yeah, but I didn't think it was the guy who did Pineapple Express, yeah. though. Well, he did a like couple. He had a bunch of movies, but the first but one still, that stood out to me, I was like, he directed Pineapple still, Express, and now he gets to do Halloween. I was thinking maybe this was like someone who had yeah. worked on a movie that was like Inception level or some shit, you know, like something like, oh, in the vein already. Yeah, you know? like we've been wanting to work with you for a while because you've done this really great work. Pineapple Express was not a good movie. Yeah, no, Andy wrote the script. You know, he was part of the script writing team. No, I don't like it either. Yeah, well, it makes sense in a weird way if you think back to it, like the way Pineapple Express is shot and the way this is shot with a bunch of those jumpy montages of what's happening, you know, like when she's you know reloading the guns and doing all of that shit. Very similar approach. Uh, maybe they just threw a darker filter on the camera. I don't know how it works. And uh, you got Pineapple Express meets Michael Myers, which is how the movie feels. It feels uh... like a stupid fucking attempt at my favorite movie. <laughs> it started off pretty strong. I, just, I, I love the halfway through yeah. kind of started tanking. I love the premise, which is in a two star uh, when I have nothing that I can say that justifies the movie. It was a pretty movie. <laughs> and that's what Kristen says when she has was, nothing else to justify the it, movie. It was a pretty movie. But I, I like the, the, the idea of diving into the trauma. Um, we abandoned with, it very quickly, though. Very quickly. Like, that should have stuck around. I love bringing back Jamie Lee Curtis to reprise the role. She feels stronger even than she did in the first film where she takes Michael's eye, you know. Well, I like, too, that you Which never got addressed in the film. Like, you could just approach Michael from, like, the left side (laughs) and he's not going to see you. You just shoot him. (laughs) I like, too, that we see... He's a 61-year-old man. You're getting your ass kicked by (laughs) I like, too, that we see vulnerable moments with her like she goes to the family dinner and starts chugging the alcohol and then just like starts crying she's an excluded alcoholic yeah so i I like that you get those vulnerable moments and you do kind of see in the deleted scene where she's thinking about blowing her own brains out that they took out of the movie for whatever reason you see a lot of really cool 
like strong moments, but also vulnerable moments. Well, but we like, determined that they needed to keep all of those deleted scenes, didn't we? Like they should have put them yeah, all the in, because it would have made it a fuller film, you know, more fleshed out characters. But my problem is like the end of the movie becomes instead of Jamie Lee Curtis's like arc, like no. oh, just three women taking out Michael so we can say we created a movie for. Strong women. For women. Yeah. That was one of the reviews that I read. It's like the Me Too, you know, the hashtag Me Too uh, through line of the film. It, it, it doesn't make it a good film. Yeah. You know, like having a message is great, but that has to be secondary. Yeah. Like you know? I didn't it's need... It's like when they tell you in a writing class, don't worry about theme. You'll figure out theme later when you read it. <laughs> like I didn't need the granddaughter really to be a part of it at all because... The only purpose she serves is the cop car coming back to the grandmother's house. It's yeah. about the only purpose she really serves. Like, I could, I could to some extent forgive the daughter kind of having her redemption moment, too, because the daughter is like, you ruined my life. I was terrified of this basement. And then maybe she learns to appreciate the lessons her mother instilled in her. But, yeah, at the end of the movie, it did just become about having three women characters win. Yeah. Instead of Jamie's... Which feels like an a, apology for all the babysitter slashing that went down. Which the women always won in Halloween. Mm -hmm. Lori... She doesn't kill Michael, but she kills Michael. You know, <laughs> you know how they used to do in the slasher films? You know, you can blow up uh, Jason Voorhees and he'll just, you know... Be back inexplicably. Yeah, reanimate <laughs> and get on a spaceship. <laughs> But they, it was, it, I liked it better when it was Lori with her bare hands, something primitive, it felt more primal, I know those mean the same thing, um, then she's got all these guns, you know, it's like, what? he's got a knife, fucking shoot him, you have all the guns in the world, lock yourself in the basement, aim at the roof. <laughs> I didn't mind that even, because it was kind of cool. I mean, I personally would have just stayed in the basement and waited for him to come through. But, like, I kind of liked the whole... She's, like, clearing the house, and she's put so much... Like, it's been such an obsession for her. She's definitely trained. Yeah, yeah, over the years. that yeah, she's put so much thought into this that she has gates that come down to lock off rooms, and she has a gate to lock off the basement, and she has mannequins that she target practices yeah. on. Like, she's clearly been obsessed with this over the course of her life. So, like, I kind of still like even that, because it... Clearly shows if we had developed her character a bit more clearly that she is still dealing with the trauma of mm -hmm. it because she's so obsessed with him coming to get her eventually. Yeah. So she hasn't let it go much in the way that Michael hasn't let it go. Yeah, but I don't think we needed her family in that house with her in the end. Like, no, she should have been by herself. Yeah, like we could have seen the damage it caused between her and her family and maybe had some kind of reconciliation between her and her daughter because her daughter was also a little traumatized from it. But, like, in the end, it should have been all of the years of the paranoia, like, building up to this moment where she has to face her greatest fear. Yeah. So, yeah, I, like, I, I was okay with it. The ending felt like they just abandoned their yeah. setup. The ending was cheap. I'm like, the whole thing was really cheap for me because I've I've watched all of the films. You know, I've 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 loved some, I've hated some. You know, some of them I don't remember. Like four and five, they're gone. I I, I, I no fucking clue what four and five are. I remember H two O. 
because it had Busta Rhymes in it. <laughs> yeah, they're filming a reality show if I got the movie correctly, which I'm 90, because it was Jamie Lee Curtis came back for that one too, I think. That was the 20-year anniversary film that they did. They're filming a reality show in Michael's old house, um, and in that canon, he wasn't found after H2, mm-hmm. so he isn't supposed to be in the hospital. He's just roaming, apparently, for 20 years in the same town, still looking for his sister who lives on the same block. <laughs> but he's Michael's living in the basement of the house, so they set up this reality show production uh, with Busta Rhymes as one of the hosts. I can't remember who his female counterpart is, but she's famous lady, too. And then they put all these teenagers in with body cams, and Michael basically just goes through the house and slaughters everybody until he's overtaken by the female babysitter lady. Don't think I ever saw that one. Yeah, H2O is pretty badass. But that's what I like about um, Scream, for example. Like, I think maybe after the original um, villain, the other ones probably aren't quite as interesting, like, because mm-hmm. there's only, like, three screams, right, that stopped at three, didn't it? I think they might have gone all the way to five, but, really? I, yeah, because there was one that was made in the, now that he's dead, they're about to drop another one. Scream? Yeah. Oh, I that, that. The, By okay. the way, I will review that as a two-star, because you don't, that was Wes Craven's fuck you. <laughs> I'm gonna Google how many uh, screams we have. Um, so I'll carry on the thought while you're doing that. Um, I was thinking there were only like three of them, and I remember like the villain in the second one because I know you and I have recently watched the first and the second one. The villain in the second one's not. There are four really. There are four scream movies, and they're coming out with a new one. Oh, well, they're about to ruin what I was about to say. <laughs> um, like, I remember thinking the villain in the second one's not quite as interesting, but it's still a bit of a revenge story for mm-hmm. the original... It's copycat killer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, what I liked about the first three screams, anyway, is that, like, you kind of see this arc of what this scenario has done to all of these characters. Mm-hmm. Like, Sydney's character is still very traumatized, but, like, had to learn to be strong, and then... Gail's character is like essentially profiting off of it to the extent that it's destroyed her marriage yeah. with um, Dewey and like you like you see even if like the scenario is not quite as interesting as the first movie was throughout the arc of these films like how it's affected these characters lives mm-hmm. if they're still making them then that probably just ruined what I just <laughs> said but no like, they're gonna fuck it up like every which is weird because. Like, especially with the Scream films, is you got the canonical three, which is Craven's fuck you to the trilogy of horror, you mm-hmm. know, if you will. I, I can't remember the fourth one. I don't know if I that was a Craven. Yeah, so we might have to revisit that. But now Craven's dead. Craven can't make a scream. The interesting thing is, do the filmmakers keep the joke? Mm-hmm. Do they understand what they're doing when they steal it from the original artist and bastardize it for the sake of exploitation? Because if that's what the new one is, I'm going. I I need it to follow the joke. I will backpedal then. I'm 90% sure I know what you did last summer was only ever the first and the second one, and probably because it was not as successful as Scream. But I remember also I did actually quite like I know what you did last summer. Um... I think it it got kind of tossed by the wayside for Scream because they came out around the same time. But I remember the second one, very similar, um, like kind of being like where these characters have been left after this and like having to... Three? Seriously? 
You guys are shitting all over my memory. 97, 98, 2006. Oh, okay, so I never saw the third one. But, like, the second one, I remember, again, being kind of like, where are these characters left after all this stuff they've gone through, yeah. and now that it's happening again, you know, <laughs> like, how are we going to handle this? So, like, I don't, I don't, like, with the Halloween movie, like, it started off with an interesting premise, because you kind of get this sense of Jamie's character being, like, deeply traumatized, and, like, as a ripple effect, having traumatized, don't laugh. Don't tell me. Whatever it is. I don't want to know. Okay. <laughs> As a ripple effect, kind of traumatizing the other people in her mm. life because of her trauma. And then, like I said, at the end of the movie, we just abandon it for homages and the sake of having three female characters kick his butt. Yeah. What are you laughing at? What'd you find? Uh, what well, are you ruining? Was, uh, You're ruining my childhood here. <laughs> no, I was just trying to see, because we talked about Scream, and we talked about, you know, I know what you did last summer, how many of those there were, and you were like, three? Are you serious? That's so many fucking movies. There are, the one we're talking about right now is Halloween? the 11th film oh, yeah. in the that's franchise. Insane. They're dropping one next year, and then there's a third one that's filmed. So there Halloween. are going to be a total of 13 Halloween <sighs> films in the next, like, three years. See, that's gross to me. Because, like, Jason did that. The original was 1978. The next one doesn't have a projected release date. But we got Halloween. 2021 is Halloween Kills, which I think has um, Samuel Jackson and Chris Rock in it. Uh, and then Halloween Ends. And I might have those last two mixed up with the Samuel Jackson but. Alright, I'm dropping Google machine. Yeah, no, that bugs me, because, like, <laughs> Halloween was bad about that, Jason was bad about that, Nightmare on Elm was bad about that, Child's Play, it's like, you have this, like, actually interesting premise that we then just run away with for the sake of making yeah. money. I love No Country for Old Men. If they ever attempted to bring Chigar back, I would not go see that. I'm gonna make a sequel. I wouldn't go see it. <laughs> you wouldn't go see my movie? Well, I wouldn't write it, so I'd be upset that you were in relations with another writer. No, <laughs> you, you can make whatever movie you want to make. But, like, no, you, leave the canonical films alone. Everybody can agree on that. You have two canonical films for Halloween, and they're arguably, underneath Godfather 1 and 2, the greatest sequel and original for the genre. Well, my problem I mean, isn't Hall even... Godfather wasn't a horror film, but you know what I mean. My problem isn't even, like, if you're going to shoot your shot, you know, because you think you can make the most memorable sequel or most memorable remake or whatever, like, if you really have an interesting premise, then okay, but, yeah. like, don't make a movie to make a movie. No, never. Because what happened here is it became a film of cliches. Mm -hmm. I read a list today that caught 16 of them. Where they were like, oh, that's from the original film. Oh, that's from the fourth film. Oh, that's from... And like I was calling them the out deaths. as they were happening. All of the deaths were yeah. recycled, mm. you know? And it, it feels masturbatory. It feels like you want a house, so you made a movie, you know? <laughs> it doesn't feel like your heart was in it, John Carpenter. And I know you didn't write it. I know you didn't direct it. But I know you were in that fucking room. <laughs> It, right? so. I think he was one of the producers. But yeah, not not as good as I thought it would be. Yeah. That it, seems to be the problem. I feel like every time there's a movie where I hear a lot of hype and then I wait a while to watch it, like I've let it build up for too long and I'm like, oh, I was expecting so yeah. much more. Well, you know, and I can't even just put it on Carpenter. Craven did the same thing. I'm pretty sure he was in on uh, the Nightmare remake, if I remember correctly. I think he produced that one. Uh, but he 
acted in and directed one of the greatest ones, which, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm losing the titles of the Nightmare movies because we're talking about so many different types of films. But the one where he's... It's the meta one. The one where he's directing like the new one. Dream Warriors or... I don't think it's Dream Warriors because yeah. that's the one that happens like in virtual space. But like he's directing... It might be a new The New Nightmare where he, he's directing this film where he's making another Nightmare on Elm Street and the act of Wes Craven thinking about Freddy Krueger pulls Freddy Krueger into the real world and it starts attacking the people who are supposed to be acting in the film. So you get the film on like three different levels. It's fucking phenomenal. I don't think I ever saw that. That is a sequel that needed to happen. <laughs> because it's it's Craven fucking around again, but it's Craven fucking around on my, okay, fuckers, you thought you could make Dream Warriors? No, I'm going to make the most meta horror film that's ever happened. <laughs> you don't it, think it, I ever saw that It's one. not masturbatory. No new night, no Nightmare on Elm Street film repeats the same kill. You're never going to see Johnny Depp jumping out of the bed, fucking blood gushing all over the fucking the place. The remake, though, they do, they do sling that girl up around in the air. She doesn't, like, split, but they're slinging her all over yeah, the air. which was dumb. I don't think she splits. Maybe she does. She doesn't get sucked into the bed. No, and I think she gets torn apart in the pump. air. Like, I think she gets shredded in it, the air, if I'm remembering she right. Get, yeah, she gets all cut up, and then her mm. boyfriend gets blamed. and Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't get... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Sometimes it's just better to let a series go. You have to. You have to let it go. Um, but my other thing that I had a note, um, as far as Halloween was concerned, is do you think that it was... Like, its flaws might have come from its overproduction. Like, the original film, they buy a mask at a Halloween store. It's a William Shatner mask. They paint it white. They put it on some random dude who's, like, six foot seven. They film and, like... They're trying... What, is it New Hampshire where they're supposed to be? I'm not sure, I, to be I've, I've lost where this takes place, but... Um, they can't get location, you know, so they do it in California. So you're supposed to be like in the Northwest and there's palm trees in the background. So much of it was the carpenter was able to shoestring it with a couple of his college buddies. And this is Hollywood trying to revisit as a direct sequel something that was made on a shoestring budget in 1978 mind the fact that production values have gone up and I feel like even on low budget movies like a lot of even B horror films have gotten just prettier over the years because technology has advanced so far that it's much more affordable yeah. to make a higher quality movie than you could back in the day and especially now that everything's digital like I, I have a lot of respect for film and you know, film is a very beautiful format it's just very expensive mm -hmm. so i think now that we've moved to digital and digital cameras have become more accessible to the general public like it's just easier to make a higher budget looking film even when you have a low budget but do you think that hurts the movie i don't think because you're not relying on plot if you can pluck somebody's eyes out of their fucking head and throw them down a flight of stairs i don't think it <laughs> does per se i think when you can't find the balance between the two is when you start having problems like when you have 
a slasher film or a gore film or whatever where which I guess gore is kind of an exception because the point of gore is that there is gore. Gorn! Um, <laughs> is that last Friday's episode? Yeah. Um, when you have a scary movie or a slasher movie or whatever like that and you're more focused on how disturbing the kill is than how disturbing the story is, mm-hmm. I think, is when it starts to be a problem. Like, we've watched a lot of low-budget movies that haven't necessarily been particularly interesting movies, and for me, the saving grace has been that it was a pretty movie. Like, yeah. there have been a lot of movies we've walked away from, and, like, the only thing I've been able to say is, man, it looked pretty. <laughs> it was, so, yeah, the DP was on yeah. point, the writing was shit, or so, the acting was a bastard. Yeah. But. So I think, for me, the problem isn't necessarily that productions have become, I guess, higher quality. Um, the problem is when you're more worried about the special effect or the CGI or whatever than the actual story itself. Like, if if you're spending, you know, your entire week fo- focused on how are we going to pull off this effect, yeah. then whether or not the scene was effective. How do we get the cool CGI dog yeah. walking through the door? Yeah. So I, th- I, think, I think for me it's you have to find a appropriate balance. Mm-hmm. Because I, I have a lot of, like even for the two stars that we've watched that haven't been very interesting i have a lot of respect for when it's still cinematically a pretty film because it's like well somebody put time and effort and thought into yeah. this so but at a certain point it feels like you're polishing a turd <laughs> you know it's like it's a piece of shit but it looked good <laughs> you know? i mean to that end not all stories are worth telling exactly so... no and that's my issue here is i feel like once again they took my man michael and they said, I could use another $70 million. Why not? Bing. I think it had an interesting premise. I think it just ran away from itself at the end. Well, if they cared as much about the story as they seemed to care about the production, then it would have been worth the production. But they cared more about, let's get Michael on screen. You don't, we don't even need a famous actor. He's not going to talk to anybody you can't see his head. So <laughs> get him out there. Bring Jamie back. She probably needs some cash. <laughs> had a pretty successful career. Outside of Halloween? Yeah, she's done a lot of stuff. Hmm. <laughs> I think she got more into like... Uh, rom-coms. Yeah, like rom-coms. Dramas. Yeah, like more lighthearted films mm-hmm. as she got older. But yeah, she's had a pretty successful career. But yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I think there's a balance you have to find. And um, there's a reason some of our work never leaves the drawing board. Like a lot not, of it. <laughs> my literal whiteboard. Like not every idea is the idea. Yeah. Some of them are just interesting. <laughs> but not everything is interesting. Sometimes you have to have to cut out your own heart and admit that to yourself your idea is really <clears throat> that good <laughs> yeah 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 not everybody's gonna be famous <laughs> your idea is not that good um i don't have any segues in this episode um not gonna lie to you and i'm feeling my beers so <clears throat> i don't have any show notes so i don't even know what we're talking about well i'm just hoping we could have a decent conversation my sweetheart I are we you. not are you we not are enjoying no, the conversation? i enjoy you are you, are you trying much. to say something yeah, about me I'm trying to say, <laughs> no i'm having a great time um but i've been reading this book <laughs> <laughs> to kind of fall you know in a completely different fucking vein because uh, i've been reading you know uh it's called uh, How to Talk Dirty and Influence People. It's by Lenny Bruce, the legendary stand-up comic who changed 
the face of what stand-up is. You used to go up there, and uh, you'd have jokes where you're like, knock, knock, who's there? It's like, I don't know, why'd the chicken cross the road? Ha, ha, ha. And people would cut up, you know, it was the thing shitty. about airplanes is... No, don't go after I'm Seinfeld. Joking. He is a piece of shit. But he <laughs> I'm is, joking. He, I mean, he is the improved piece of shit. That I'm is joking. The, I hate Seinfeld. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you used to have like these Bodak type guys who would just get up on stage and be like, yeah, I'm going to say everything you know within the social vein. Lenny Bruce was the first dude to get up there and be like, fuck the government, fuck the church, Fuck the way we're talking about this, that, the other thing. He inspired Carlin. Like, he, he, he the devil, you know, for 19, late 1950s, early 1960s. And then he died, I think, at 38 or maybe 40 of a morphine overdose in his bathroom. So he's like the Elvis Presley of stand-up comedy. You, what do you mean I can't shake my hips on stage? You know, that kind of guy. Um, he went through an obscenity charge for saying the word cocksucker on stage. Uh, the trial took six months of him sitting in rooms filled with people saying the word cocksucker because he said it on a stage and the cop that arrested him was a like a community decency officer like that was his thing that he was supposed to be doing so he would go to burlesque shows strip clubs drag nights and comedy clubs and he arrested lenny bruce and Lenny was not about that action. <laughs> so he wound up doing months in a uh, workshop, not a workshop, workhouse. Sweatshop. Um, no, basically, yeah, basically was his punishment. Um, he was released early from that whole situation. Uh, there's apparently a show called The Amazing Mrs. Marbles or Maisel or whatever the fuck the name of the TV show is. He's a character in that show as well. I feel like it's Maisel. I, I think like it's Maisel. I've not seen it. You say it. that sounds incredibly familiar, but I don't think I've seen it either. Yeah. So he... I'm going to read the front and back of um, this chapter that talks about uh, his experience in court. I'm going to skip the entire transcript of the court case that he's written for himself in here. Because um, then I'd be reading 15 pages instead of, you know, uh, one. <laughs> this comes from chapter 18 of the uh, paperback edition that has Lewis Black as the forward. Uh, and if you want to, this is one of his actual stage jokes that you can go listen to. I, I, a lot of this material that he opens up with is borrowed from performances that he's done uh, in the past. And if you want this bit, you can just look up Lenny Bruce, cocksucker, and um, you'll get this word for word. So. I'm just going to do it for the people who aren't going to do that. Since the first time I got arrested for obscenity was in San Francisco. I used a 10-letter word on stage, just a word in passing. Lenny, I want to talk to you, the police officer said. You're under arrest. That word you said, you can't say that in a public place. It's against the law to say and do it. It said it was a favorite homosexual practice. Now that I found strange, I... Don't relate that word to a homosexual practice. It relates to any contemporary chick I know or would know or would love or would marry. Then we get into the patrol wagon and another police officer says, You know, I got a wife and a kid. And I said, I don't want to hear that crap. He said, What do you mean? I just don't want to hear that crap, that's all. Did your wife ever do that to you? No. Did anyone? No. Did you ever say the word? No. You never said the word one time. 
Let ye cast the first stone. Never. How long have you been married? 18 years. And you never chippied on your wife? Never. Never chippied on your wife. Not one time in 18 years. Never. Then I love you. Because you're a spiritual guy. The kind of husband I would like to have been. But if you're lying, you'll spend some good time in purgatory. Now we get into court and they swear me in. And the cop says, your honor, he said blah, blah, blah. And the judge said, he said, blah, blah, blah. Well, I've got grandchildren. And oh, Christ, here we go again. <laughs> Your Honor, the cop says, I couldn't believe it. There's a guy up there on the stage in front of women in a mixed audience saying blah, blah, blah. The district attorney chimes in. Look at him. He's smug. I'm not surprised, he said, blah, blah, blah. He'll probably say blah, blah, blah again. He hasn't learned his lesson. And then I dug something. They sort of like saying blah, blah, blah. Even the bailiff, what do you say? He said, blah, blah, blah. Shut up, you blah, blah, blah. They were yelling in the courtroom. God damn it, it feels good to say blah, blah, blah. And then I'll skip to the end because there's a lot of hilarious shit <laughs> <laughs> to it, the end of this particular back and forth where they're trying to figure out if the word cock is offensive or if the court system is upset with the fact that the cock is getting sucked in the word and that's the problem and that's Bruce's contention is that he should be allowed to say something if there's an action that you can do it's absurd that it's illegal in the 60s to suck cock because it implies men sucking penises when actually it's a very common French practice and he was a World War II sailor so that sums up <laughs> that entire in-between and um He's talking to this cop, and it goes, I asked the defendant at the time, or the, the, the attorney guy that's interviewing me goes, and what was that? And he says, I asked the defendant at the time, did I hear you use the word cocksucker in your performance? And he said, yes, I did. And later, Mr. Wahlberg examined the other police officer, Sergeant James Solden. Question. And did you have occasion while in that area, the jazz workshop, to see the defendant, Bruce? Did you have a conversation with him? Answer, I had a conversation with Mr. Bruce as we led, as we took him from the jazz workshop to the patrol wagon. I spoke to Mr. Bruce and I said, why do you feel that you have to use the word cocksucker to entertain people in a public night spot? And Mr. Bruce's reply to me was, well, there are a lot of cocksuckers around, aren't there? What's wrong with talking about them? <laughs> I like that. So I, I I found that intriguing because I actually love that bit. I have a Lenny Bruce album that I've listened to one time. Kristen's not a fan because so much of it is so dated. It's really not like funny. I find it interesting. If nothing else, he has a hilarious joke about a car salesman. Um, who is like bending people over so hard on you know the amount of money that they have to pay that he's selling used cars and he points out the lipstick on the exhaust pipe which cracked me the fuck up <laughs> but he went through a six-month obscenity charge that changed the face of his art form and it was simply because he wanted to use the most precise word you know if you're writing a bit don't call your mother a cunt for God's sakes, don't say that word, you know, to your mother. But, like, if you're dealing with a cunt in a grocery store, and that's the word for that person 
Let that person be a cunt. Let them be a cocksucker. Let them be a bastard. You know, have your word. Are they beautiful? Let them be beautiful. It's interesting in general that we prize, I, I mean, you know, I know times have changed since then, but we prize freedom of speech, but then it's like, but not that one. Not that one. Can't do that. Yeah, <laughs> like the fact that you could go out to, I get. I guess it'd be one thing if you were, like, out in the street in the middle of the day, like, shouting obscenities and, like, flashing people and acting, like, belligerent. But, yeah. like, when you're in a nightclub at night and people are paying for Your audience is expecting to be there. Yeah, like, and it'd be especially like telling, if you have yeah. a reputation for being that kind of comedian, mm -hmm. like, then being like, oh, you said that word, though. Well, he has a whole other section kind of more in that vein that cracked me the fuck up where it's, like, call him a sick comedian um or slapstick is you know the term that he uses in there because he's the first like controversial comedian they're like why do you need to use those words and he goes oh i forgot all the wholesome trauma of the 30s and he goes through a list of decade by decade up until they've arrested him uh they were like there was the guy who pretended to be an asian he had the big goggles on and a butt tooth and then you laughed at that i can't say the word cocksucker and then he goes like all the way through you know mm. from like the 20s the 30s the 40s the 50s to where he's writing the book and he's like i'm not anything new i'm not a sick comedian i'm not a bad guy you just don't like what I do. <laughs> like blackface back in the day was like common yeah. practice with like comedy and Freak like movie shows. and stuff like that. So yeah, it is kind of interesting how that stuff changes over time. Because mm -hmm. it is a bizarre concept that... What's... Well, like, like the idea that you don't have freedom over like your own facilities. Mm -hmm. Like these are words coming out of my mouth. If you don't like them, don't stay. Yeah. Like Doug Stanhope's mental health bit where he calls his friend retarded for slipping over his shoes. And he goes, I don't care what you're going to change that word into. That's what I'm going to call my friend when he trips over his own yeah. shoelaces. <laughs> it's strange the power we give to things. Yeah. All right, moving forward. No. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was going to be the keystone for our conversation. <laughs> Like you're more you're more familiar with Lenny than I am. No, just the concept in general of um, telling somebody, you know, like when you're making a film, you can't do that because you know, they, I have huge problems with censorship at any fucking level. I, there's a lot of things I don't like, but I think you should have the right to make them. A Serbian film is the most disturbing thing I've ever seen in cinema. It involves the rape of a child. I loved the impact that film had on me because they pushed that boundary. I would argue... That being said, I'm not against... Or I, I am very much against the rape of children. <laughs> I would argue that you can... You know, as long as nobody's getting hurt and nobody's being exploited and you're not doing anything actually wrong. Like, there are a lot of mm -hmm. um, people that have come forward who worked with, like, Harvey Weinstein, for instance, who have, like had these horror stories of how they were exploited because he was such a powerful That's man. That's completely different. So yeah, that, yeah. Is, I'm, that is completely different. I'm saying as long as you're not doing something like that, if you're making a movie where all, all parties are actively involved mm -hmm. and want to be a part of the project and are being treated appropriately and with respect, you know, I, I would argue you shouldn't be censored in making what you want to make, per se, but I, I don't think networks are then obligated to showcase your work like if daytime tv is like yeah. no this is this is too 
violent or too pornographic or whatever for daytime TV. We're not putting that on daytime TV. Mm -hmm. I think that that's their right as the owners of their own network to make that decision. Well, today on Twitter, there was a, uh, there's some sort of a weird pushback against Cartoon Network for Adult Swim. They, were, they thought it was programming their children because they missed Adult the... Swim's a nighttime program, yeah, though. Yeah, comes on at, like, what, three in the fucking morning? Mm. Like, what is your kid doing up? It's pretty late, yeah. I don't know it's quite that late, yeah. but it's pretty late. It's after the safe hour ends, for sure. Yeah, no, it, it, I don't I don't understand it. I don't get it. I, but, like, my argument there is, like, somebody owns those networks, and if they feel like that's the appropriate move for their own business, I think they have the right to make that decision. No, so. of course, and I'm a libertarian, so I very much agree with that. I yeah. just think we as a society are trying to shut so many fucking people down. And it's not a new thought. It's not a new conversation. Thousands of people have talked about this thing, but I don't know. It's like Lenny Bruce being hooked up for the word cocksucker, you know, being arrested, again, one thing, way worse than being fucking canceled, you know. Because in our age, you don't really need the big studios. I don't believe in Paramount, you know. Yeah. I, it's dead to me. That whole concept went out the fucking window because we have cell phone cameras and we can buy the equipment. But if you and I... It's so much cheaper. and We can launch a website. You can build your own yeah. audience. You don't need agents and fucking but mountains and mountains of red tape. Yeah. If you and I, for example, made a movie that YouTube was like, this is too explicit, this needs to come down, I would I would do an entire episode called Fuck YouTube. <laughs> well, I wouldn't be mad at YouTube. See, that's where, like, I feel like we differ. Like, I feel like that's YouTube's right as its own business to make that decision for what they're going to host. So if I have a movie that, you know, YouTube or Vimeo or, you know, those hosting sites don't want to host, I should then just have my own hosting site. Like The Nightmare if, Bones. Yeah, like, so if you're being censored by businesses who don't want to be represented in that yeah. way. I think that's their right to make that decision. Um, if I went to a nightclub and did a stand-up performance and the owner of the nightclub came out to yeah. me and was like, you can't do that here, this is my nightclub. If we had a film that somebody gave to us that we didn't want to release, I completely yeah. understand it. Sorry. I would still make a fuck YouTube <laughs> episode because I would go find something way worse. And I'm just, I'm just saying, <laughs> I'd just... be like, you let them do this and I can't do that. <laughs> I think to some extent, when businesses are censoring themselves, that's fine. That's their decision to make. I don't think somebody has the right to censor you specifically. Like, like I said, if I'm in someone else's nightclub telling a joke that the owner of that nightclub disagrees with, they yeah. can tell me to get out. If I'm trying to host a video on a site that the owner of the site disagrees with, they can delete my video. But I think that at the point that they delete it, they lose artistic license. Well, to a certain extent. Well, they don't own the license to your video to begin with. No, not a physical license, love. Like, their personal artistic license. Like, uh, I think I the second know. you try to chop something it off at the knees, then you, you, you don't matter anymore. I don't know. There are ideas that I would probably reject if you proposed them to me that I would be like, that's not the kind of work that I want to make. Well, so. no, I don't want to force you to make it. But if we <laughs> made it and then we presented the completed object and they were like, we don't like this on the grounds of blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I feel like if it's, if it's the owner of the company, they have a right to make that decision. I don't think the police have a right to come tackle no. you to the ground and lock you away, but I, I think... The owner of individual businesses have the right to decide how they want to be yeah, represented. I think you have the right to go, I don't like that film, I don't want to put it up there. But I, I think at a certain level, if you do it to appease or to censor, 
Like, I think we're talking past each other. I well, think, I, I think uh, a lot of people who censor stuff, it's because of their own personal values, like the judge. And I, the, I would never write anything and send it to a Christian production <laughs> company, you know? But there are people that... But I also think that if they didn't tackle that concept in one way or another, outside of it's a shitty product, you know, if they were like, well, we like it, but then I'd be like, fuck you. You've but there lost are people that own businesses that... Even if that's not the forefront of their business, they still hold certain beliefs. Like the camera company that I buy most of my gear from is uh, predominantly Jewish owned. So, mm -hmm. like, they don't really advertise that on their site. Like, nothing about their religion is really, like, prominent on their site. But they close their site to orders on Jewish holidays so none of their workers have to work for yeah. the Jewish holidays. That's so there are, there are some businesses that even if they're not outright, like... I'm a conservative religious person. Like, they still house certain beliefs. So yeah, I, one I, of the chicken shops. Churches. Is it churches or Popeyes? One of those fucking... Uh, Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. Yeah, they yeah. close on Sundays, yeah. And they know. hate the gays. <laughs> they do. And that, that, <laughs> that, yeah, makes it hard to support businesses like that. But I'm just saying, like, I they feel still, like... <laughs> they still have their shop. <laughs> Nobody's just, censoring them. <laughs> I'm just saying, I feel like if a business makes a decision for themselves, that's their right... All right. Um, the last thing that I wanted to dive into with you is <laughs> uh, kind of off the vein of Halloween and uh, Lenny Bruce's book, this concept of art as a reaction to an oppressive system. Maybe that works perfectly. I should have gone right into the segue with the fucking chicken joint. Chick -fil -A. Hindsight's 20-20. It is. Um, <laughs> but you can use your art to fight against these things mm -hmm. if that censorship is not in place on a legal standing. You know, if you can't say the word cocksucker on stage and they have to argue that it's a homosexual expression, well, now we're in a deeper conversation about homosexuality. Um, but it doesn't just apply to, like, government systems if you don't want it to apply to government systems. I hate the government. Again, I'm a libertarian. I, I don't believe in it. I, uh... I'll give you that. I don't, don't give a shit. <laughs> I'll give you that. I don't think the government has a right to have a say on At it. All. I think that's that is my one libertarian viewpoint. I guess I think as the owner of your business, you have the right to decide how your business is going to be represented. As long as you're not doing anything illegal or harmful to other people. Yeah. I think if you have the porn network and you like you convince cable television to pick it up, then you know that's your business model. Yeah, you figured it out. <laughs> Um, but you can also use it to react to like bullies in your own life. You can fight back mm. against your own experiences. So believe it or not, team, I know you missed it. I know you missed her and Lamont's bird by bird, which Kristen started a long time ago, and it looks like she's almost finished. <laughs> I've been working on other stuff. I know. I'm, stuff. Fucking, yeah, I'm but fucking with you. You literally just gave it to me recently, too. <laughs> Remember that you own what happened to you. If your childhood was less than ideal, you may have been raised thinking that if you told the truth about what really went on in your family, a long, bony, white finger would emerge from a cloud and point at you while a chilling voice thundered, we told you not to tell. But that was then. Just put down on paper everything you can remember now about your parents and siblings and relatives and neighbors, and we will deal with the libel later on. 
That is not the quote I thought you were going to read. Which one did you think I was reading? I don't know. I thought you were looking for a different one. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever read that one to me. I, I thought I read it on the show. But it's page five from that one. So you own what happened to you, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, I, I used to get my head kicked into a urinal. I don't, I don't know if it shows. <laughs> I do. I think <laughs> my that's... head looks this way and I talk this way and I drink a lot. So. I do think that's interesting, though, because, yeah, I don't think you've ever read that one to me. You've read the you own what happened to you bit. I don't think you've read that whole passage to me yeah, before. Yeah, she brings it up over and over again. Um, that is a weird thing that I personally struggle with. Like, I was not bullied as a child. Um, but there are instances in my life where I have these personal stories that aren't... Uh, like embellished they're just factual stories that are a part of my life and I struggle sometimes talking about certain stories that involve other people because to some extent when I'm talking about instances that involve other people I feel a responsibility to the other person even yep. if they did me wrong yep. um, we've talked about on here I had a friend who tried to rape me uh, me and my father had a contentious relationship it, it does feel like you're tattletailing on them but Again, that's a thing you learned in childhood. Yeah, and it, it does to some extent feel like you don't have full ownership of the story. Like, mm -hmm. which, and you that's own weird. your side. Yeah. That's all that says. You own your side of that story. That's Use a it. Weird thought to think about, though. Like, if you analyze it, like, feeling guilt over talking about something someone else did to you. Yeah. Never really thought about that. I think we just broke Kristen into a new plane of existence. No, it's just so it's interesting. Yeah, the, the level of guilt people can yeah. make you feel. If you had a, you know, I've had abusive women in my life. I've had a lot of fights with men. Like I would consider, you know, they were above me in a power structure, and so thus mm -hmm. that would be abuse. Um, I've been to a lot of traumatic places. Yeah. And I've had a nervous breakdown where I've had my little sandwich to my little closet. And, you know, I I own those things. Yeah. Those are things that I've lived through that are unique to me. I'm scared of them. It's hard to open that door. But to write or to paint or to make a film, I think it's important to learn that you have to pry that bastard or kick that fucking thing in and go in there. Like You yeah. have to look at what that is. Or you're just going to be like Jamie Lee Curtis in the Halloween film where she obsesses and obsesses and obsesses and then locks herself in when it finally faces her. Yeah. You know. I, I think the, the important part, too, to, like, feeling comfortable talking about, like, aspects of your life or your story or whatever that paint other people in a negative light is being realistic with yourself about your own mistakes. Yep. Like and your I, own perception of events. Yeah. You know, when I think back to like early girlfriends or early fist fights, you know, and I'm like, I was really kind of a dick back there. You know, like yeah. I, I put so much of the onus on the other person and that's not everything. You know, like I've, I've, there are times where I found out that I was justified to feel the way that I am. Yeah, you know, a lot through therapy. <laughs> that's true, especially of like teenagers and young adults too. Like I, I feel like definitely, probably eighteen to twenty-four ish or so. Like I 
was in a lot of negative relationships that were genuinely like hurtful towards me but also reacting in a hurtful way towards other people because of how I was feeling and like I don't think in that moment I recognized the part I was mm -hmm. playing and like as a now 30 year old woman I can look back on those moments and be like man like how far have I come as a person to not be perpetuating these instances anymore but yeah that is just a bizarre sorry i know i keep no, dwelling I, on that a bizarre thought to come back to I that was, you can feel guilt over what something yeah. i realized it today and so i thought it tied in really well Kristen got out of the shower and she goes i was thinking about the the blah 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 you know and mm -hmm. she brought up this idea and honestly earlier today when i drove over to the grocery store i take the long way in my tank top so i can balance out my mexican tan in my tank, in my topless Jeep on a dirt road. I love that road. I, it makes me happy. Um, but I was thinking about my tattoos because I've got this one and somebody at the store asked me about my... I've got a tattoo um, on my right inside forearm from Chuck Palahniuk's Survivor. It says, every breath is a choice. And somebody the quote, at the store today asked you about it? Uh, no, one at the store today. It was at the, at the shop yesterday. Mm. Um a customer came in, I was typing away, and they were like, what was your tattoo say? So, it's every breath is a choice. It comes from a quote about suicide from Survivor, where it's like, every breath is a choice every time you don't drive your car into a fucking, you know... Ravine. Is a choice. Every time you don't throw yourself down a flight of stairs is a choice. Every breath. So, to me, it's a constant reminder that, like, I could kill myself right now, or... <laughs> I've got a tattoo on my chest over scars I put there when I was a kid that says never again and it looks like little carving thing you know and it's fading quickly and it'll probably either disappear or I've got to get it touched up but I was thinking about those tattoos and it brought me back to being in a bathroom when I was like 16 or 17 years old um a razor blade I kicked out of my dad's box cutter and I was just going the fuck off on myself like I think I gave myself three or four and I just let the steam build up in the bathroom and I was just watching the blood run out of my body and it's like like I'm 29 now mm -hmm. you know so like I'm well removed from that I haven't cut in a handful of years I'm not going to pretend I'm a saint I have been drunk and standing back in the bathroom as an adult between 25 and now but I, I, how fucked up was the situation where disconnect myself mm -hmm. It's a 17-year-old or a 16-year-old or a 15-year-old. It happens somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. um, is that that kid's fault? Did I do that? <laughs> Did that happen to me? Why? And that's a child I no longer understand, but I'm still carrying the... I did that because it was the rational thing to do and I was in the wrong. Whereas as an adult, I can look back and be like, oh, it was a 15-year-old kid who was going through a fucking psychological meltdown. <laughs> yeah. 
think I've found as I. But I own it. Yeah. It's, it's me, you know. I I I can forgive myself now for doing it because it was a reaction to a thing that I didn't understand because I thought I was all knowing. <laughs> I was a teenager. We all think we were. We know everything about the world, and there I was. And so that forever is me, but I'm, I'm older and I can see it from a distance as an adult looking at a child say, that's fucked up, bro. Like, what was going on with you, you know? Yeah. Like, I think I've found, because I um, have cut before as well, I've never cut anywhere besides my wrist. Like, I know a lot of um, people that do cut kind of cut in places they try to conceal, so... I've when, got them all over my arms and my <laughs> chest. Like women will cut like the thighs yeah, or you most know, of the thighs. And yeah. then will cut the chest. Women will cut the stomach. Like you know, people cut in areas of the body that are easier to conceal. I only ever cut. Um, sorry if this is a heavy topic. If you guys need to step away for a minute, uh, yeah, feel for free sure. To... And if you are a cutter, we're not judging you. Okay, we've been through it. I'm not. If you are not a cutter, don't start. It's not going to make you feel better. No, it definitely uh, doesn't. It just kind of gives you a mini adrenaline rush. But then you grow up and you're covered in fucking scars and it's not cool. You have to hide them forever. So <laughs> I can't take my shirt off at the pool. So now I have a belly and that's how I justify it. Um, no, I, I cut, I guess in my early 20s was probably about the only time I ever really did it. Um, never did it as a child and haven't done it probably since 25 for sure. Um, I only ever cut my wrists and like yeah. I, um, I think was kind of in between of like, this is a release and I, I don't really want to be here like anymore. Like if you fucked it up one night, it wouldn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Um, cause I, I, and that's graphic. So I'm sorry guys, if this is a sensitive topic, um, cross the road, not down the street. Uh, I cut down the street, uh, or, you know, down the vein, so, um, it's, a, it was meant to be, if it is deep enough, then that's that, and, uh, my scars are all very specifically along vein lines, um, but I, I have found, as a 30-year-old woman who's, um, managed to process, I guess, at least that portion of my life, I still struggle with depression and anxiety, and I, I still have emotional moments that I, I have a hard time kind of processing those moments but on that level I've moved past that phase of my life and learned to kind of love and forgive myself so mm -hmm. it is kind of interesting when you reflect back on those moments like I've found grace for myself I guess um, in the person that I was in that stage of my life because I too was kind of going through like an emotional downward spiral and dealing with a lot of stuff that I yeah emotionally wasn't capable of really processing at that phase of my life so um i guess like i don't i don't look at my which i'm kind of pale so you can't really see my scars <laughs> you're super yeah. <laughs> i kind of pale so you can't really see my scars unless you're really <laughs> looking for them um but like I, i've kind of learned to like forgive that and find like its own weird beauty and like being past this phase of my life and those scars being just old scars and that's all they are and um it's the way i look at my hands my hands are all fucked up from <laughs> fighting and i'm like yeah there were some stories there yeah it sucks that i've got 60 year old hands at 29 years old but, <laughs> but I, I feel like to some extent those really traumatic experiences kind of shape who we end up being as people and i feel like um as an adult like i 
I hope anyway that I, I've become more empathetic and I, I tend to be a little more emotional than probably uh, entirely healthy as a 30 year old. I cry at like dumb cartoons and I cried while downloading the software onto my computer. <laughs> I find that my friends, you know, like I, I, I have a good amount of friends that'll hit me up if they're going through some shit. And mm. I've found that I'm that guy for my friends because they know that I've been through mm. some shit. I'm not going to judge them. You can call me thinking you're going to die on heroin. I'll walk you through it. <laughs> mm. Let's rock and roll. You know, I'm not going to judge you for calling. I don't judge people. <laughs> I do if they're dumb. I, I judge dumb people. <laughs> I don't judge mistakes. Yeah. But I... Like, going back to the Anne Lamont thing, like, it, it's bizarre to think too much about, because I've found, uh, like, being so many years removed from, it, like, grace for myself, I guess, and I, I don't feel... I like the word grace. Yeah. Um, and, and to me, that kind of feels like what it is. Like, it, it's not like a, I'm proud of it, but I, I've found a form of acceptance and like forgiveness and love for that version of myself. Um, I like that too, that version <laughs> of myself. Like you update on your birthday. You're like, you remember Windows 95? And it's like, I'm, yeah, Windows 95 was a cunt. I don't know what Windows 95 was thinking. Windows 95 sucked. It was I'm, only four years old. It was still consistently shitting its pants. I am Kristen 3.1 now. <laughs> um, but like, <laughs> I like that a lot. I'm grabbing another beer. We're holding on to this episode. We might run a little long. Who gives a shit? But, like, whenever I think about things other people have um, done to me, like, I'm not mad at them, and I, I don't harbor, like, resentment for people who have hurt me um, in the past either. Like, I, I've, I guess in some way found kind of grace for other people that have done these things to me as well, because... A lot of these instances whenever was whenever we were like all younger and all kind of like floundering around in life. But like I I don't feel a guilt for talking about my mistakes and my experiences. I can comfortably talk about um like my struggles, but when I talk about situations other people put me in, I feel guilt like it's a situation I caused almost, I guess, even though I know it's not my fault. So like I, I don't feel comfortable like you said, it's almost like tattling. I don't feel comfortable telling these stories, even if I don't embellish them. Yeah. That other people put me in because I feel somehow responsible for the story that they've given me. I feel you. Like, I, the, he who shall not be named. Um, and I would have to change a lot of variants um, if I wanted to tell the story publicly again to avoid the libel charge. And Lamott's... Um, advice is that you always include that they have a humorously small penis so they don't don't come forward as the person (laughs) but this close friend of mine uh we drank quite a bit with each other um and one night uh he started turning shapes he started trying to talk me into suicide he started explaining to me that he'd kissed a lot of men and that, that he wanted to buck me in the ass. And you believe that you were drugged. And I am uh, convinced that I was drugged because his entire face was melting. I 
flipped out, I grabbed a gun, I got him the fuck out of my apartment, and then I passed out in the hallway. And when I woke up the next morning, it was like I'd had been drinking for seven straight days. Um, I was pale as a ghost, I couldn't fucking move. I think I slept until like four o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, he dosed me with something, or somebody in that bar dosed me with something, and he took advantage of that situation. And that's not a thing that I asked for asked on for. any level. No, I was. Uh, I, 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 when I drink, I drink. And way back in the day, I used to smoke weed, but I'd had a joint. So I probably had like a pitcher and a half of beer, which was nothing to me. That was an average night, and a joint on the walk home. Doesn't ever cause faces to melt. I was convinced that there was somebody else in the apartment. I didn't know where I was or who I was. I remember going and grabbing the rifle out of the room because he tried to follow me into the bathroom, which was the next room down the hall. That's weird. Which was awesome. It was in. Like you and I you are... had to leave the kitchen. The bathroom or the closet was the first door. Then there was the bathroom. Then there was my bed. So when I turned my back on him to go to the bathroom, he started following me down that hallway. I grabbed my rifle. I aimed it at his fucking head, and I told him to get out of the apartment. What's weird, though, because you and I are married. If you tried to follow me into the bathroom while I was peeing, I'd be like, what are you doing? I'm trying to pee. Yeah. (laughs) And you and I are married. We had two bathrooms. So he was following me into the bedroom because he knew I was disoriented. Mm -hmm. I've, I've, I've learned to justify that, at least. I know what happened for a period. I know that I walked him out the door at rifle point and locked the door behind him, passed out in the hallway, and when I woke up, my asshole didn't hurt. So I... (laughs) Those are the facts as I know them. <laughs> and I own that. Yeah. I don't know what to make of that yet, you know? And I I don't know why I just set it into a microphone. <laughs> I mean, it's, a, it's the same concept, though, because the first time you told me that story... Um... I've got people who can attest that they came over the next day because I was freaked out and... They will attest that I was basically in towels on the bed, fucking white as a ghost. I couldn't stop shaking. I was freaked out. Yeah. But it's it's in the same vein, because the first time you told me that story, it was probably a good year and a half ago or so, and you seemed very uncomfortable, even though, like, nothing... Like, you hadn't done anything... Um, I felt it was my fault as a dude. Like, I felt like, you know, when women come forward, that's fucked up to say, but I felt like a woman, you know, in that situation. But we don't talk about it when it happens to men unless it happens in prison and then it's hilarious. (laughs) But yeah, like, the first time you ever told me that story, you were, like, really uncomfortable telling me, and it is just a bizarre. I thought it was my best friend yeah. at that point, you know, like that was a guy I was really fucking close to, and looking back on it, um, the red flags were all there. When he determined that he couldn't convince me, because he told me that he had some bisexual experiences in the past, um, so when he couldn't convince me, he tried to force me, mm. and I 
was basically kept awake by my in, in, internal and eternal rage. <laughs> Willie, Jax was mad too, though. Jax was pissed, <laughs> which was a big sign. Yeah, Jax does not rage against people very easily. He rages against stray dogs Like earlier, forever, yeah, but... right before we started the podcast, I had a panic attack. I didn't shout or anything. I was just kind of locking in. Jax was in the next room. He ran over, and I joked he can hear my heartbeat from way over there. <laughs> he comes and gives kisses. He's very sensitive. Um, yeah, I don't really know. I want to keep this conversation going because I feel like this might be helpful to the listeners. Well, you and I before I, the... I can't say his name, so no. I don't, and I don't want to flip out. <laughs> but you and I before the we turned the podcast on, we're talking about too. Like I don't have experience with being bullied by my peers, and um, I don't, I don't know how young you were when it started or how old you were when it stopped. But uh, I know fifth grade to about freshman year of high school, because I hit my uh, growth spurt. My growth spurt <laughs> between. Um, the eighth grade and the ninth grade so suddenly I was a foot taller than the people who previously been beating me up for writing poetry on a school bus yeah, <laughs> and I could hunt them down one by one and try to beat them up in front of their mothers <laughs> do you think that like affected your work at all like, did I think it affected feel... my entire life <laughs> did you feel responsible for it for or... getting my ass kicked mm-hmm. yeah I'd get my ass kicked, and I'd come home, and I'd tell my dad, and then dad wanted to kick my ass for getting my ass kicked. Like, I don't yeah, because there's that stereotype, especially for men, like, that... Dad's instructions, you... the first time I got in a fight, I had braces, I had glasses. This kid that I will not name, I hear he's not doing that well, um, punched my braces into my teeth, um, or into my cheek, my cheek. And I still have scars on the side from where he just kept punching my cheek into my braces. And then I come home, and Dad's instructions to me, after a two-week suspension, I think it was, were the second you get on the bus after school today, and you're going home, attack it. And I did. (laughs) I grabbed him by the fucking throat, and I just started punching him in the fucking head. And I remember falling back on these two girls uh, that are still my friends um, because my dumbass didn't take my backpack off. So I walk on the bus, I see him, I say, what's up, faggot? I just start fucking unloading on him. And that proceeded with his five friends uh, beating me up at least once a week uh, for the rest of the time I was there. So dad bought me a punching bag and a weight bench. And between the eighth grade and freshman year, I grew about seven inches and I was in pretty damn good shape so I just started fucking hauling off on these kids every fucking chance I got so in high school I had a reputation of being something of a bully and it was just against those same fucking five cocksuckers I was like every time I see you I'm gonna fuck you up and I didn't learn how to let that go until we met because I was still getting in bar fights when you knew me So it's, I'm am, only like three. I am such a calming presence. Exactly. I'm only like three years detached from being in a bar, and some dude says some <laughs> hurtful shit. I'm gonna beat him with a fucking bar stool. Like, <laughs> you don't think that's because of me, though? Like, I think I you think can. you're a, a very good influence on it because you're not the kind of chick who 
wants to be protected from every dude, you know, that's in, you know that I will snap and fuck somebody up. But I haven't needed to do that because you're there to be like, he's just drunk. Leave him alone. Aww. So it is in wide regard because of you. Aw, well that's sweet. You've never said that. Aww. We're going through a full range of emotions on this podcast. <laughs> Aw. I, I think to uh, kind of balance that, I guess. Like, I don't know I, why I need to make myself out like a Billy Badass <laughs> to make up for the fact that I was almost raped. But <laughs> no, it I, happens. <laughs> I like that about us, though. I feel like... Um, in a weird way, in our situation, like, opposites do attract. That's such a cliche saying, but we are vastly different people. Um, uh, like, as far as, like, both being artistic and... Well, that was the initial question. Yes, my rage has affected my <laughs> art form. I um, am the co-producer over at Nightmare Box Productions. <laughs> <laughs> it's not called I Had a Good Life. Oh. <laughs> Um, I make movies about abortions and fucking... <laughs> I flip out and kill people in my stories. I, the rage is what drives me through my art, I think. Um, Even my little paintings. But I like that to some extent. Like, I feel like, um, like, aside from the fact that we're both artistic and, like, some of our worldviews are kind of similar, but, like, personality-wise, we're vastly different people. And, like, I do... I guess feel like you've calmed down a lot over the past few years. I don't know that I would necessarily say that's because of me, but it's partially because all of that marijuana I used to smoke. <laughs> um, <laughs> but also, I think on my end, like I have learned to, I guess, since we met, like fight for the things that I want a bit more, and like, like I don't, I don't feel as much like I have to apologize for who I am or what I want or the things that matter to me. Like, it's so difficult to find your space in the world, especially when you have all these other influences pulling on you and kind of trying to push you where they want you to go. And then when you go through kind of traumatic experiences, you constantly feel like you're having to apologize for everything. So like having this space where you can kind of be like. This is who I am, and it's okay to be who I am, and I don't have to apologize if you don't like it. It's been kind of profound for me. Like, um, I don't know. I don't have a more eloquent way of saying it, but it, it's been nice to, like, kind of find this space to be like, I'm okay with who I am, and if you're not, then that seems like that's your problem. Yeah, and that's <laughs> the entire thing. Well, that sounds like a you problem, you know? <laughs> It's like, I, I, I want to say this word. I want to do this project. I don't believe in the world that people want me to believe in. I don't see it the way that people see it because I've slipped underneath it. Like I, I've fallen out of it for like two years. I, I didn't know who I was. I had no fucking clue. You know, I, I, I went through a terrible situation and then my dad died very shortly after that and then I almost got raped by the dude who helped me get through both of those types of fucking things and that whole time period is like kind of in a blackout you know like I don't know why I was so angry when I was a kid I don't I, I feel like I woke up when I was like 25 <laughs> and I was like what in the hell is going on here <laughs> And 
then people were like, well, you've got to get a job, or you need to get your health insurance situated, or you need to do this, that, or the other, you know, and you're going to be fine. And it's like, I, I, I feel like I got my ass kicked for way too long for fine, you know? <laughs> like, I... I don't know. I, I do know. I don't know how to say it. Can you help me? The writer doesn't know how to say it. <laughs> that's the problem. Maybe that's what makes me a writer. Maybe there's a through line from my life that is just, fuck you. You know? <laughs> no, I, I, I don't want to, because these are kind of heavy topics, I don't want to glorify um, trauma as being some kind of end all be all for being some no 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 no, no 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 um, no it, it, it it's like the hemingway argument it's like hemingway was a drunk so all writers should be drunks and yeah. it's like no hemingway was an incredible writer who happened to be an alcoholic yeah i i think for me um when you go through traumatic events or like you said, you know, you kind of spend your whole life getting your ass kicked. You kind of have two choices. You can end up being the person who then in turn hurts other people because of the hurt that you've yeah, been through and kind of people, just, hurt people, yeah, but, kind yeah. of just perpetuate the cycle or you can take some time to reflect on the choices that you've made in your own life and the choices that other people have in essence made for you in your life. And, um, choose to try to grow as a person like sometimes that means you need therapy sometimes that means you need time to yourself sometimes that means you mm -hmm. need a support system around you i'm a massive proponent for therapy by the way if any of you guys deal with mental illness issues as i do as Kristen does please find a talk therapist for at least a few months you know give yourself three months of going to meetings or three months of going to see a psych just so you know what the resource is if you ever need it, okay? Yeah. I think for me, if you've been through traumatic instances, like obviously the healing process has to take place first. Like you can't just shove those things down and pretend yeah. like they didn't happen. And that's but just time. Yeah, mm -hmm. but I think it is in its own weird way when you can find space to reflect on those things and space to forgive yourself and to forgive the other people if you're capable of forgiving them some some things that happen to you unfortunately are so traumatic you can't forgive the people that have done it to you but if you can find space to forgive yourself and um reflect on who you want to be as a person traumatic events are an opportunity when you find that healing to grow as a person and mm -hmm. um you know ideally be a more empathetic insightful person and if you're an artist, you know, like that's a place to kind of put out your empathy. Yeah, and reach other people who are also in this place where they need healing. So I'm not glorifying uh, traumatic events by any means, but if you can find healing in yourself, like a lot of the time it, it does have a profound effect on the way you view other people and the way you view your work and stuff. So it. I How think, is your life affected the way that you shoot film, do you think? Um, I don't know for sure that it's necessarily, I don't think that I've been 
I don't want to be arrogant enough to say that I found myself as a filmmaker. I don't think that I've been doing... Well, I don't think that we ever find <laughs> ourselves. I think it's a constant search, yeah. and as Ram Dass says, we're all just leading each other home. <laughs> yeah, I, but, but even, like, on a level... Sorry, this fountain's got me feeling some kind no, of way fine. on top of the five beers I've drank in the past hour. <laughs> I don't think I've found myself even enough on a level to make a, a really sincere statement on it. Like, I... I I feel like for me, I haven't really developed enough as a creator to really put it into my work, but I, I feel like it's changed the way that I view the world quite a bit. Like, there are people that like Michael Bay's type of movies where it's just all action and... Things blowing up. Yeah, and a big-breasted girl running around screaming her head off, and that's entertainment to them. And for me... Um, I have found, especially as I've kind of learned to connect with myself as a person, a really profound connection in work where you have these complex characters that make you feel things you weren't expecting to feel and make you relate to these really heavy topics, whether they're heavy happy or heavy sad or whatever, and you walk away from a movie feeling or a book or whatever. Um, feeling changed in some mm. way so I don't think that I have found a way to put it into my art effectively yet but I have found a very deep appreciation for meaningful work you can and see the road now that you couldn't see before yeah yeah and like you I, know that there is a voice to Kristen Pennington a signature that I think I've identified and I've brought up a couple of times but I don't know what that signature means or why you do it but you're starting to see that the road is at least there, you know. I don't know why I do what I do. I just feel like I've seen the road and I'm just waltzing down that little motherfucker, you well, know. Well, I think our, our lives are our stories, so... Like, That's through... That's beautiful. Through our work and through our connections with other people, we are sharing a piece of ourselves, so... Again, like I said, if you've been through something traumatic, like... If you're still in the middle of it, sometimes it's kind of hard to see that. But, like, on the other side of it, when you've found some form of calm in yourself, like, it, it's such an incredible opportunity to connect with other people who may also need that or understand that. So, um... Don't die on us, team. <laughs> yeah, I... You, you have the obligation to decide how you're going to mold yourself and... I, I, I think if you can find grace for yourself, you know, it, it has a profound effect on the type of person you are, so. I love that. Can we record a, a forward to this episode where I can say we clunked around for about 40 minutes <laughs> and then we ahead. hit some deep <laughs> shit? And like kind of give them a little bit of a trigger warning, mm -hmm. you know, if you will. We can. Okay. You can find us over at um, nightmareboxproductions.blog. Uh, the nightmareboxblog. Or you can go on over to YouTube to nightmareboxproductions. YouTube.com slash nightmareboxproductions. Uh, where you can see all the pretty things that we're doing and will do and will continue to do because uh, she's the one that I, any contemporary chick that I love her. <laughs> want to know or would marry <laughs> to bring back Lenny Bruce um, 
YouTube.com slash Kristen Pennington, <laughs> where you can see some of Kristen's earlier work, some of her students' stuff. If you're in school and you need inspiration, don't steal her ideas, but look at her ideas. Or uh, Facebook.com slash Nightmare Box Productions. You can send us a message and we'll get back to you eventually. And yes, we will post eventually. I don't know what to post. I'm really bad at this shit. Or I you post go to sometimes. Twitter. Yeah, you post all the time. Twitter at? The uh, Nightmare Box Pro? Or Instagram at? Nightmare Box Productions. <laughs> wow, that's the first time I've ever been like, do, is that what it is? Yeah. Uh, or you can go on to our email. Nightmareboxproductions at gmail. And if you send me $10, I will send you a copy of the Madman Diaries. I don't care if it's $15 to get it to you, 10 bucks. it's all yours. It's cheaper than Amazon. Just we'll figure out it's things because PayPal still hates me. Yeah, a couple of them are beer stained. I might sell those for 15 or 20 bucks. We'll talk about it in the email you can send once again, too. Nightmareboxproductions at gmail. And uh, is that all of them? All right. I love you, sweetheart. I love you. And I love you guys. And once again, for the love of Christ, um, if you're going through some shit or if you've got an issue that you can't talk about with your friends and family, please at least figure out how to get yourself into therapy. If you can't afford therapy, sneak yourself into an AA meeting. You don't need to be sober to be there. You know, um, it's going to be all right. And we'll talk to you guys next week.